This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas now for almost 30 years, and I'm delighted to be here with you on Self Work today. I started this podcast now five years ago with the intent to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be seeing someone in therapy or you're just interested in psychological issues. To those of you who are looking for answers because you may have been diagnosed with something or you have a family member that you're concerned about, or to those of you who might tell your friends or the people you work with, oh, I think that therapy stuff is a bunch of junk, but you're curious enough or unhappy enough to be looking for answers. I welcome all of you. Today, I want to focus on the confusion that anyone can have about their relationship. It's based on an email I received from a 20-something listener, but is a problem that's encountered by many. Basically, the question becomes, is my depression about my relationship, or is it me? And that question can be hard to answer for sure. They write, I would love to not receive a solution, but just gain some perspective on what you believe would be wise for me to do. Well, (laughs) that's good because I'm not sure I can offer a solution, but I'll see what research says and add my input, as always. Today's listener email is also about relationships and regaining trust. The listener writes, everything I wanted is now mine, but she's struggling with resentment. So in this episode, sponsored by Athletic Greens, and by the way, they're sharing some new changes with you, we'll be focusing on relationships and the hurdles that many face within them. Welcome, as always, to Self Work. Today, we're focusing on a couple of listener emails that brought up pretty common hurdles in relationships. The first is about when you're expressing depressive symptoms, or at least some of them, is your marriage causing the problem, or should you focus on yourself? I'm going to quote their email. In fact, this is all of it. I hope I'll find you well. I'm writing to you because I'm undergoing a very difficult time in my life. I'm now 24, and I feel like I'm always experiencing a recurring negative pattern. However, this time, it has shaken me. I've been feeling this sense of self-doubt, fear, constant worrying, and lack of purpose in life for a few months. I find myself in moments where I start crying, and I feel a deep void of sadness inside of me. Additionally, I've been experiencing a lot of relationship issues with my five-year-old long partner. I become easily irritated by things that I previously had more tolerance for, such as him goofing around to the music, making sexual jokes. An area in our relationship that has been affected is our sexual intimacy. For some reason, I lost the desire to engage in sex and feel almost repulsed by the idea of it. Since it has been a repeating pattern, my partner starts questioning whether I find him sexually attractive and whether I still even love him. I understand his concern. However, this adds even more pressure on me and leads me to worrying more. Throughout my relationship, sexual intimacy has been a recurrent problem that has never been fully solved. Previously, I've realized that whenever we fight or have a disagreement, our sexual intimacy is greatly affected by it. I've never been the kind of person to be highly interested in sex, since I value emotional connections as more important. However, I understand that my desire to have sex has been diminishing recently. 
I believe it has a lot to do with my unstable mental health and my lack of satisfaction with my own self. My partner and I have agreed that I should seek professional help. I'm trying to see a psychologist to help me overcome what I'm currently feeling. However, sometimes I get concerned and deeply think maybe I should just focus on myself and become the best version of me. I love my partner, but sometimes I feel I have a lot of weight on my shoulders regarding the expectations I am not meeting. I just don't want this pattern to continue to occur. However, I'm scared that if I let go, I will regret it later and lose someone I love. There's a lot of information in that email. You know, I'm always honored when someone writes in for my input. So let's take what she writes apart a little bit. The timeline is important, as are the obvious changes in her behavior and feelings. First, you should know that many Diagnosed mental illnesses like depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder emerge between the ages of 18 to 25 or 26, maybe 28. It's in that decade. It's not that there weren't signs of these problems prior to those years, like as teenagers. But again, with traditional diagnoses, these illnesses are diagnosed when a person becomes a legal adult. And they do tend to emerge at this time most intensely. The symptoms she identifies, self-doubt, fear, constant worrying, and lack of purpose, crying, and empty sadness, seems to me to be a mixture of anxious and depressive symptoms. So certainly, she might benefit from someone seeing her and recognizing with her that these symptoms have appeared. But if you've listened to self-work for a while, then you know that I'm always interested in the context of how these symptoms began. Maybe there's truly something wrong. Maybe these struggles are normal given how they were created, when they emerged. Is there a rational backdrop for their presence? What could have happened to her before that perhaps she's kept to herself or is something that she's discounted or denied as being important? And as she's trying to have an intimate relationship, then something from her past is getting in the way of that intimacy being sustainable. It would be something, as her therapist, I would carefully look into. So basically, I would say yes. First, look at your own life history and try to fit the puzzle pieces together of why these issues might be coming up now. Maybe your anger is justified instead of a problem. But you would also need to look at the relationship. Certainly, her revelation that she's not an overly sexual person isn't diagnosable unless it's a remnant of past sexual trauma. But again, there are many people whose sexual drive is low, and many people, especially women, stress that for them to be aroused, they need to feel emotionally connected. That's not new news. And conflict gets in the way of that. Here's another point. Dr. Pat Love reminds us in her book, Hot Monogamy, that when we meet someone initially, whomever is lower on the sexual drive spectrum automatically seems to have more drive. It's a biological thing. And the one whose sexual drive is higher decreases. It's what is biologically called for, if you think about it, for the species to continue, right? We've got to have sex to have more people and thrive. After a while, however, things cool off and it's more than normal for both people to revert to their former drive status. And that's when things can get complicated. You can look back and say, gosh, why was everything great in the first or second year of being together, especially the first? And now, over time, things have changed. Okay, I'm going to add one more thing to confuse things a little more. I'll offer you an observation that I've had over the years, and it has to do with the infamous seven-year itch. There seems to be a time, and it's debated a bit what that time is, when a couple goes through a reassessment of their commitment. Here's what recent research has to say. This was from 2014. 
Recent research suggests that divorce rates rise after marriage and then peak at about five years. Rates of divorce then steadily decline as years together increase. This rising and falling pattern is reminiscent of the seven-year itch argument, but occurs slightly earlier, perhaps five or four, than the phrase suggests. The fancy word for it is time-based relationship vulnerability. How psychology-y does that sound? (laughs) It seems that a seven-year itch might be better named the four-year itch or the five-year itch. But when you think about it, when does the seven years begin? Is it when a couple begins dating, when they get married? The minimal research into this specific topic seems to assume a point of marriage, yet couples often live together, they co-parent outside of wedlock, or never marry and are just committed to one another. So when does that seven years start? Now, I have a personal theory about why that itch develops, which I'll share with you after we hear this new and exciting news from Athletic Greens, now called AG1. I've been talking to y'all about Athletic Greens now for a few months as they're our newest sponsor here at Self Work, but they have a new name and spirit. It's AG1. Just like with Athletic Greens, you take one tasty scoop of AG1 that contains 75 vitamins, that's 75 minerals and whole food sourced ingredients, which include a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. But Athletic Greens 1 has some really exciting news about the directions they're taking as a company, and I'm proud to tell you about them. Last year, they joined the How to Recycle program. This initiative tells you exactly how to dispose of your products and what goes where. Now, How to Recycle has evaluated all of AG's product packaging, and from their feedback, the company's been able to increase the recyclability of their products, reduce the amount of plastic they're using, and increase their use of recycled content. And they're proud to announce that they've officially committed to become climate-neutral certified and are hard at work looking at all of their 2020 emissions. And last but not least, since Athletic Greens One believes that access to nutrition is a fundamental human right, they're excited to announce a new partnership with No Kid Hungry to help serve nutritious meals to children across the United States. They've committed to donating 10 cents for every Athletic Greens order to No Kids Hungry for an entire year. So to make your ordering easy, Athletic Greens will give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2, which I've learned actually must be taken together to be effective, D3 and K, and I take that every morning, with five free travel packs with your first purchase. Since you're a listener here at SelfWork, and the code is athleticgreens.com slash selfwork. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash selfwork to take control of your health and to give Athletic Greens One a try. So whether you call it a seven or four or five year itch, this is my personal theory, and I remember it happening in my own marriage, the one that lasted past two years. Now I'm at 31. There comes a time, and it may be for the listener, that habits or tendencies or character traits that you thought were funny or cute, or perhaps you thought you could change, just are no longer funny or cute. And you can see that your partner isn't really going to change after all. And in some ways, at that point, I think you have to do a reassessment and think, okay, what are the pluses of this person I'm with? What are the problems? And do the pluses override the problems? And in good, healthy marriages and commitments, they do. And you can try to work on your own anger or irritation. 
And remember, you're probably irritating as well, right? (laughs) But also, if you began having children, then those very habits of your partner take on a whole new meaning and become a deeper concern. Say, for example, your partner eats a lot of junk food or sweets. That was fine when you met and even committed to one another. But when you have children, these habits can easily become arguing points because your concern is what the kids will learn from that partner. And that concern is exponentially greater than when it was just the two of you. Now, if these habits are more serious, like alcohol or substance use, irresponsibility or blaming, spending too much money, your fear about how those problems are going to affect your kids can be pretty intense. Now, I've had certain instances where a client will see the negative impact they're having on a child themselves. In fact, I had a man who had obsessive compulsive personality disorder, meaning his life was very rigid and he would get very angry if you didn't do things the way he did them. And he was highly perfectionistic. And his parents were visiting one day and they were all out on the deck and his father got up from his chair and the chair scraped the deck a little bit. And he heard his, I can't remember how old his daughter was, I want to say four, and he heard his daughter say, oh, granddaddy, don't do that, that's going to scar the floor. And he heard himself in his daughter, and he came in to see me. So again, a little deeper dynamic, at that point, four, five, six, seven years, I think you have to re-choose your partner. The question that I've suggested that my clients ask themselves Knowing what I know now, would I still commit to or marry my partner? If the answer is yes, what you'd likely realize is that your partner's strengths have their inherent weaknesses. For example, my husband was attracted to me because I'm a more emotional person and I'm very spontaneous. But when he started living with me on a daily basis, if I became angry, not even with him, he was very uncomfortable with my venting, me being spontaneous, probably afraid that I'd act on it, which I rarely did. Anger wasn't allowed in his biological family, at least from the kids. So we had to work that out. The opposite side of that coin was what I loved about him was his stability. He was rock solid, and I was highly attracted to that. But about five years into our marriage, I finally was going, do you ever make a quick decision? I had to work through my own feelings and not expecting to change because I wanted him to be a little quicker on the draw. I had to remember why I'd married him. And he was actually still just being him. That doesn't mean that you can't talk to your partner in the here and now about how those character traits or habits or whatever are affecting you now. You can. But at the same time, you want to try to honor the fact that you did choose your partner. And they came along with a certain set of traits, a certain set of attitudes, etc. As long as you both understand that relationships are dynamic. And just because something was okay five years ago doesn't mean it's okay now is something to talk about. So you want to honor both your own perceptions and your unhappiness, but you also have to understand that your partner has theirs and it's just as real as yours. Okay, now back to the email. There's one more hint in her email. She feels guilty for not meeting expectations, and I assume those are sexual expectations. And she states fear if she lets go. That causes me to wonder how empathic her partner is or might not be, if they are blaming her or not being compassionate. It's unclear, but it got my attention. A good sexual relationship can certainly be a gift. I've worked with many who have great sex but not great communication and vice versa. 
And of course, you can have asexuality in couples, which is another viable option if those two people have that in common. So what might I suggest she do? I would always advise that someone begin individual work first, so that if they eventually make a decision to end the relationship, they will know that they looked at how their own struggles or history is manifesting in the problems in the relationship. Your quote-unquote baggage, as a lot of people call it. But I also at times will say, I think we need to ask your partner to join us. Why? Because I want to hear and understand both perspectives, and I want to see if the couple honors their differences, or is there contempt or blaming going on? That's not to say that marital discord or dissatisfaction can't lead to depression or hopelessness or despair. What started out with so many dreams, what you've sacrificed for and tried hard to make a success, now has turned into arguments and affairs and loneliness. So, of course, that can lead to depression. There are also so many things that can change with enough work. I remember a couple well that I had very little to no hope for. Her patterns of anger were well entrenched, as was his resentful withdrawal. But she almost immediately began reading about anger, apologizing sincerely to him and her children, and working through her own past issues that led to her anger and rigidity. And he, who'd always been the easy kind of guy, didn't realize that he'd become invisible and badly needed to find his voice. He'd withdrawn out of resentment, but he took responsibility for that withdrawal. As they worked together, it was incredible what I saw happening. And they left finding a deeper love and appreciation for one another, both of them taking responsibility for what had for years been going on and had become habitual and very painful and very depressing. So my answer to this listener's question is to actually say yes and yes. Yes, it could be your relationship that could be leading to depression because of very entrenched patterns or misunderstandings, things that are not going well and you are sad about it or angry about it. But also, it could be you. Sexual issues can be caused by many things, and so I really advise that you look into that. Of course, lack of sexual libido is a part of depression as well, or can be. So it's a multifaceted answer. Good luck to you. The listener email is also about a relationship. I quote, Recently I've started going to therapy and I'm trying to learn what's behind all my emotions. Quick backstory, I've been married for 17 years and fairly recently my husband had an affair with a 25-year-old. We were separated and that affair lasted through our separation for about a year. He left me, my two older daughters, and at the time I was eight and a half months pregnant with our son. Fast forward to now, we did not go through with a divorce, and I've added yet another baby, a girl who is now 10 months. So I'm assuming they now have four children. We've been back together for about two years, and I feel like everything I ever wanted is now mine. And yet, I feel sad and angry and what I think is resentment towards my husband. Does a person ever really get over infidelity? I feel like our life was so rushed, and now since COVID hit, it's slowed down. I hear that from a lot of people, that the pandemic has caused them to slow down and see things that either they're delighted to see and they really are so glad or in their relationships, or they've slowed down enough to see something as a problem. She continues, 
These feelings are enough to make me doubt my choice to continue our marriage. It was never perfect, but I don't know how to deal with this. It's now affecting my behavior toward him, and I feel guilty. I love your podcast. It's honestly what made me realize that talking to someone is what's best to help me get to where I need to be mentally. And of course, I always smile about that when I hear that, because that's why I did this podcast in the first place and why I continue to do it. Some of what I said to the other listener applies here, in my opinion. But when there's been an affair and a decision is made to try to save the marriage or partnership and continue, lots of hard work needs to be done. And it almost sounds like none of that happened. Trust has to be regained and emotions need to be expressed, heard and validated. And again, so many people who've had an affair just say, well, I'm not having it anymore. Let's just go on with our lives. But that misses the part where... You have to regain trust, and your partner, who was very, very hurt, has emotions that you need to hear, understand, and affirm. I often tell people that it's obvious that trust has to be regained by the one who had the affair. In fact, there's a very early self-work podcast link in your show notes that goes into that in detail. It was the fifth one I did. I thought it was so important. But it goes both ways. It's sort of in a different way. The person who had the affair wants and needs to believe that their affair won't be forever brought up in arguments and conflict. But there's trust that has to be gained with both people. Trust that the affair is over. Y'all have talked about why it happened. You've taken responsibility for why it happened. And you're working toward a much better relationship with your spouse or your partner. But also trust that the person who didn't have the affair won't continually bring it up. Or be resentful like this woman seems to be because the work was never done. So that's a lot of work by both people. It's also tricky in working with two people where one or both had an affair. What's hard? Because one person shouldn't be blamed for the other's decision to go outside of the marriage or the monogamous commitment for sexual or other needs. So you don't want to blame the other one saying, well, I wouldn't have had the affair if you didn't X, Y, or Z. However, at the same time, the decision was made in a context, and that context needs to be discussed and worked on. Instead of, well, I wouldn't have had sex with him if you blank, 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 but more of, let's look at what was happening between the two of you when you first became dissatisfied and try to understand your choice in that context. It's a completely different question. Or another question is, let's look at what you both learned about marriage from your own parents. Understanding the context can be vital. It doesn't give anyone the right to blame, but it can add a lot of awareness, and that awareness can lead to a better understanding and hope. Who knows what could have been going on between this listener and her husband or what his choice was about. They already had two children and were almost giving birth to another one. That certainly would be very, very hurtful. But I can hear that basic work was not done. It sounds as if it was just swept under the carpet. If this listener's partner won't consider therapy, then she's got another problem and she'll have to decide whether to stay in the marriage or not. Again, what I'm so happy about is that she realizes that going and talking to someone may help her look at all aspects of that decision because that decision is life-altering for her and should be made very carefully. Thanks so much for both of these really great questions for today. They both had a lot of meat to them, so hopefully... We untangle things just a bit.
Thank you so much for being here at Self Work. It means so much to me to see your written reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. So please leave me those or just leave a rating. That's really great, too. But the written reviews tell me who you are, what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like more of. And they help me so much. And of course, I smile a little when I see them. My book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, came out in November of 2019, and it's holding its own because I think the message is so important that the life you have to have immense control over can be a very painful life. And I offer over 60 exercises in the book to help you begin to, again, I'll use the word I used a few minutes ago, disentangle or untangle all the aspects of why you are the way you are and what can lead to more self-acceptance and compassion. That's available in ebook, paperback, and Audible. Please come over and join me in my Facebook group, which is a closed group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. I more than appreciate all of you being here and letting me know. Oh, and you can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com, and you can subscribe there and get a weekly newsletter with everything that's going on. Again, thanks for your presence. Please be very careful out there. I'm Dr. Margaret. And this has been Self Work.